various forms of monitoring and surveillance and policing that are at play throughout all of what's going on. Welcome to Surviving Society with Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis. Executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society's Alternative to Women's Hour. I am really, really excited today to be joined by Francesca Sabande, who is a lecturer, researcher and writer who explores issues concerning racism, sexism, structural inequalities, media and the marketplace. Francesca's work is primarily focused on digital culture, black diaspora feminism, creative work, power and popular culture. Francesca is based at Cardiff University. Today we are going to be talking about Francesca's latest book, The Digital Lives of Black Women in Britain. Hello Francesca. Hi, thank you so much for having me on this. I really appreciate it and as someone who has enjoyed listening to many sessions, I'm really looking forward to getting to have a conversation with you today. Oh, it's so good to have you on the show. Francesca is Surviving Society alumni already. Francesca is one of our guest hosts of the Spotlight series. So it's really great to have you back to talk about your scholarship. Honestly, like this book, The Digital Lives of Black Women in Britain, like it's really difficult for me to put into words how important I found it when I was reading it and how much it spoke to so many of the things that I've thought about throughout my life in a way that was so careful, thoughtful, considerate, has at the heart of it an incredible politics of citation. And yeah, I just think it's kind of, for me, it reads like a love letter to black women in Britain. Well, I couldn't ask for... A more generous explanation, the way that you've interpreted it is exactly what I hoped in terms of how people would engage with this and the sentiments that would come across. So I think the book is very much based on my PhD and that was research from 2015 to 2018, which involved focusing on the media experiences of black women in Britain initially and then more specifically the digital experiences of black women in Britain But since 2018, there have also been lots of interesting developments. So when I started working on this book, when I think about what the social media landscape was like, we saw the real rise of YouTube vlogs. In particular, I'm thinking about natural hair vlogs. Also, just so many Black women who are creating content, creating new digital spaces and producing media that is often absent in mainstream media in Britain. So there were real moments of excitement and there still is a strong sense of excitement and maybe I would even say hope surrounding some of what's going on online. But I think by 2018 and and bringing it up to 2020, there have also been so many changes or so many clear examples maybe of the dangers and risks and forms of harm that black women deal with often when being online and especially when being very visible on certain content sharing and social media platforms. And the final months of working on this book was really when the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic became what it is. So I think also when I reflect on those last few months, I found myself asking questions that I hadn't really considered before. So I was really reflecting on what did it mean to see so many black women being 
asked or encouraged or told to be hyper visible online, told that they had to make use of certain digital technologies and certain digital spaces to access forms of care, to access educational resources, healthcare services. I found myself really reckoning with what are the opportunities for Black women to make use of digital media in ways that can be enriching to their lives and how does that sit in terms of the tension between those potentials and then the reality of the forms of harassment, abuse, monitoring and surveillance that can also be a part of Black women's digital experiences. And also always remembering that not every Black woman in Britain can have digital experiences in the way that these experiences are often described or represented in media, public life and political conversations. I think that one of the things that you've shown already in your explanation of the book is that for me, this piece of work is interdisciplinary. Your work is focused on media, digital life, um, pedagogy. But for me, there are so many aspects of this book which speak to some of the things that I'm interested in, like the sociology of race and racism, how race becomes spatialised, thinking about place. And there's just so many aspects of the book that I just think speak to broader disciplines and I would really recommend obviously we're going to have a more contextualized conversation about some of the arguments in the book now but I would really recommend anyone who is interested in looking at and reading about race in Britain in this context needs this book (laughs) again thank you I I really appreciate all of that (laughs) it's really exciting to get to have this conversation and you know I've really learned a lot from your work and certainly as somebody who started out as an undergraduate at University of Edinburgh in sociology and politics and then sort of moved within critical consumer culture and marketing spaces and then sort of returned to journalism media and culture and and back to more sociological studies it's really really helpful to know that the book hopefully speaks to conversations that are occurring within different disciplines and actually you know conversations that are perhaps interdisciplinary transdisciplinary as well I'm also thinking about the work of Keisha Bruce who I know is doing fantastic research which you know challenges the notion of disciplinary differences or parameters and is you know challenging the, the idea that disciplines can or should exist in their current form in academia so what does it mean to do work that isn't compartmentalised as just belong to one disciplinary space. People such as Keisha Bruce at at Nottingham are are doing fantastic research related to that. And again, work that focuses on Black people's digital experiences, especially the experiences of Black women. Honestly, big up Keisha. Like, I'm so looking forward to reading more of her stuff because what we've seen already is just so brilliant. And I think her scholarship speaks to that kind of change that you were talking about um, that you've sort of seen from 2018 onwards I'm thinking of people other black women like Rita Gale that are writing about black women producing and becoming the media entrepreneurs in a Mm post-Brexit environment but how that has incorporated with tensions that are deeply rooted and are a response to the racialized and class manifestation of what blackness has been like for so many black women in the UK for such a long time. So I, I really feel like we're having a conversation. We're at the sort of beginning of a kind of like black people consuming digital media in a way these studies were entering a kind of like renaissance type period. Would you say that? Yeah, I think I'm definitely 
and um, maybe encouraged and comforted and also just really grateful to see how much stuff is happening and how much stuff has been happening for a long time. So I think oftentimes there is this idea that there are no, um, you know, black women researchers, writers, creatives, activists who are doing work that addresses these sorts of questions to do with digital media, technology, the marketplace, capitalism, when the reality is we know that's not the case. And just thinking over these last years about, you know, other scholars such as Rihanna Walcott at King's and just the expansion of possibly black digital studies, or even if we don't have the language perhaps right now to articulate exactly what it is, but people doing work that you know, wrestles with the messiness involved in being a black person online or experiencing different social media platforms, content creation processes and forms of representation as well. My first sort of question for you, I guess, relates to something that you were just talking about then with regards to black women content creating and the media is something that black women have a long history, particularly in the Britain's context of producing and accessing and I guess it would be really good to talk a little bit about the work that you did with the archive to introduce how we get onto more contemporary discussions about um, digital lives of black women in Britain. Perhaps one of the biggest differences between my PhD thesis and then the book was it was really from 2018 onwards that I got the chance to spend a lot more time in different archives so whether that was the Black Cultural Archives in Brixton London or Glasgow Women's Library in Scotland I got the opportunity to look at different pieces of writing different bulletins magazines books and just archived material that really provided me with a window into some of what Black women were doing and experiencing over the decades so at BCA in particular there were lots of bulletins and documents which really conveyed this sense of black women coming together, forms of grassroots collective organizing in relation to not only, of course, issues to do with the media, but how issues to do with the media connect to capitalism, connect to people's material conditions, are you know part of these different wider structures which really involve the perpetuation of oppression against black women. And something that I'll often say when speaking about this work is I think there can, there's a risk in implying that critiques of the media or critiques of digital culture are very new or very recent. Sometimes I think people can make quite ageist statements also about generational differences, when the reality is there's this real rich legacy of collective organising, of activism that is led by Black women and which not only deals with matters to do with representation politics and the media, but again, you know, the material conditions the oppressive structures that are a part of all of that. That's not new. The the way that activism looks and feels right now might be different. We see that digital media can be used as part of the formation of solidarity and transnational solidarities at that. But I think we need to always acknowledge the, the past to understand what's going on in the present and to anticipate what might come in the future. There's a bit in the book, it's a community organization that get together to talk about black women and the media in the late 70s? Off the top of my head, it would definitely be one of the resources accessed at BCA. And I think there was a section to do with information communication technology. So ICT and different groups, um, which were very much women-led, oftentimes 
black and Asian women working together. And it seemed, you know, based on that writing, these discussions made it clear it wasn't just about digital literacy. It wasn't just about learning how to use technology. There were also critiques that were being voiced in terms of the paternalistic nature of, of digital technology and how it was being used by some people. And also already a real scepticism surrounding the notion that digital technology would suddenly democratise society for everyone. That's incredible. Like Black and other women of colour talking about the idea that actually access to more information does not equate to a democratisation of information. Like that's one of the biggest sort of statements I think we're working with and against right now. Really interesting material in the Spare Rib Digital Archive too. So I found it. I found it. You found it. Perfect. Can I just read out? Can I just read out? Because honestly, I loved this bit so much. We see. The nuanced experiences of black people in Britain are often overlooked and or reduced to representations emptied of substance as part of dominant discourse pertaining to media, the creative and cultural industries, inequality and public life. Nevertheless, some of the experiences of black people in Britain have been the focus of critical events and dialogue over the decades, including the following. A November 1988 conference report on black people, human rights and the media, the Race and New Technology Conference 1985, the Association of Black Film and Video Workshops in the 1980s, as well as an International Women's Week event in 1986 at the Black Art Gallery in London titled And All of Us Are Strong, discussing black women's art. The Black Women and Media Conference at the Factory in West London in 1984, which was attended by over 150 women, provided space for women and women of colour to talk about different aspects of the media in this country, as well as a chance to share their skills. Boom. I feel like this book is such an important contribution to cultural studies because you've created interdisciplinary form of scholarship that is looking at how the archive relates to race culture blackness womanhood today reading that description could just be taken from a leaflet in time out magazine i think you're right like the the critiques that are both ageist and lack a true representation of our deep and rich history of black life in britain are often really kind of erasing like that massively important work and I know I've said this on the show before I am definitely guilty of contributing to these kind of presentist discourses and I know even though I'm someone that I've tried to be as critical as possible I know that I need to work harder at recognizing and coming back to how historical and present black life has always been within Britain. I think I just completely echo what you've said. I think vital nature of intergenerational conversations between Black people, intergenerational forms of activism. And, you know, it's it's so important that we, we don't, in our efforts to speak about what's going on right now, forget what has come before. And I think because, you know, even sort of media and cultural studies sometimes is treated as quite a new discipline or quite a new area or certainly areas within it. So when we're dealing with digital, there's this idea that almost things only started from, you know, maybe the late 90s onwards. And and as we're saying, that's that's not helpful if we're going to try to meaningfully 
recognize what has come before and also not treat, I think sometimes in academia, the conversations can be so exclusionary and so narrow and insular that you know topics and issues become treated in a proprietarial way as though the only things that have actually happened are the things that have been written about in academic journals or in academic books when all it takes is you know turning to the archives and the archives are sometimes personal archives they're um, you know living archives they're they're what's found in someone's personal home all it takes is to turn there to be reminded of the fact that there's so much more going on and and so much more that has happened over the decades and centuries that academia is often very slow to catch up with or pretends hasn't happened at all. I think it was on Busy Being Black podcast, there was a guest that said we have to remember as black people that are looking to both content create and express and explore our cultural and racial identities within Britain that so much will not be found online. Mm-hmm. It's sort of stuck in my head, deeply apologise to the guest who was on Busy Being Black, I can't remember their name, but... It was such a important statement to make and something that I keep coming back to myself. Like, actually, not everything is searchable. Not everything that happened was documented or has been accessed. There's just so much stuff that is, you know, not in a digital environment. It's not only that there is stuff that isn't available online, but of what is available online, you know, how long will it be available there? So thinking about the short term nature of a, of a lot of what exists in different digital spaces and Yeah, I think digital culture, people research it in different ways, but sometimes I think there can be this focus on digital methods or digital spaces at the expense of everything else. So what does it mean when, as we've spoken about, not everyone can access um, digital technology in the same way? Right now, one of the things that is incredibly frustrating is how people will make generalizing statements about the last 12 months. So the idea that everybody is able to work or be at home or or be on Zoom or the idea that everybody has, you know, an an additional device if, if one laptop stops working. So the point that you've made there, I think that is such a necessary one, remembering that no matter what it is we're dealing with, including when we're dealing with digital culture and the experiences of Black people, if we solely focus on digital spaces and digital technology we're missing out on so much more that we need to understand and I think this binary opposition of the so-called online and offline world which many activists many scholars have challenged for a long time is a really unhelpful one because the online is always the offline you know the embodied experience is always connected to what happens on a screen and I think remembering that is a great way to be reminded of those archives, those spaces that don't involve a digital device, but which also are still connected to how people experience um, the internet and, and what they are or aren't able to do or say online. Definitely. It's such, such a good point. And again, something else that I have to keep reminding myself, particularly when I'm talking about, as you said, the last 12 months, like there are so many people within the UK that haven't had access to digital space and it's racialized, it's classed. It's such an important thing to just keep talking about. Um, And even like in thinking about who can access this kind of conversation, which is seeking to critically examine who is able or who can access digital life like there are people that will not hear th- this sorry I'm, I'm getting a bit I'm getting a bit like um abstract now but it's it's really important reflection mm-hmm. this is what I mean listen I might have to retrain as a digital scholar this is better than sociology I'm telling you <laughs> um, but one of the things that I think 
you cover really well in the book is thinking about dehomogenizing black life in Britain. In that way, what I mean is thinking about black life and the digital lives of black women across Britain. I think it's because I'm interested in lots of the in these conversations. But there's some really interesting discussions um, from yourself and your um, interviewees about what it's like to content produce and also access um, digital media whilst not living within a city um, and living in rural spaces, living in places where there are not that many black people. It's really spoke to my own experiences growing up in a sort of semi-rural suburban place and like the thing that I think about a lot now is how there are so many young black girls that are growing up um, within some of the spaces that I grew up that have got some of them have got access to imagery and representation that is celebrating who they are and where they come from and what they look like if I'd had just even like I don't know a couple of scrolls on Instagram as a 12 year old girl I think it would have delayed a lot of pain (laughs) that I had or helped me recover from a lot of pain um, of feeling kind of isolated so yeah like the, the discussions you have about that are just for me are extremely radical Thank you. I think, yeah, I know we've we've both spoken before about ideas to do with representation and, you know, whether it's the politics of representation, how the term or the claim representation matters is used in different ways. Um, What's tricky is sometimes I feel as though (laughs) the discourse to, to do with this can be very sort of one or the other when I think we can critique the limitations of different forms of representation. We can critique, you know, surface level representation, which is held up as as being an example of significant structural shifts. And we can also still acknowledge the importance of different forms of representation or more specifically the politics that surrounds that representation or what that representation um, may or may not be connected to. So especially for younger people especially you know when you said thinking about you know being a child thinking about what it means to not have access to and not just images because I think sometimes conversations do representation focus solely on images when sort of narratives and you know news reporting stories that surrounds those representations is such a part of the the bigger picture I feel as though like you said that we we can and we should recognize the meaningfulness of different types of representation that people are able to access or people are able to produce as part of their digital experiences and even if it's sometimes the conversations or the debates or the discussions that are sparked by that that in itself can be generative and you know within Britain there are so many different regional areas there are so many different rural areas there are so many different places that as you said, means being a black person in Britain, it can involve lots of different specific experiences that are shaped not only by the nature of Britain, but the nature of, you know, the local and and someone's immediate surroundings. I think especially for black people who might be based somewhere that is, you know, predominantly white, um, it it might be, you know, somewhere where there are specific internal political issues within that regional area, which means conversations to do with racism are, are especially shut down, or I'm now reflecting on within devolved nations, sometimes conversations to do with colonialism focus on the relationship between England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. And, you know, there's a complete misrepresentation of how those relationships 
are or aren't connected to colonialism. So I'm going off on a tangent here. So we've had on the show a couple of times um, Nasamia, who talks about, in particular, the Scottish context and Scotland being positioned as this post-racial part of Britain, when in fact it isn't at all. Um, but that kind of dialogue around Scotland being better than England on race mm-hmm. has actually mm-hmm. obliterated really important critical conversations that needs to happen. And I think that kind of that dialogue definitely comes through in your book as well, which I really appreciated reading. It's so good to see these conversations come into light because mm. even myself, like when I remember when I first met some Scottish people when I went to university I remember thinking like oh god I bet it's better to grow up there you know I bet it was better than (laughs) than England and then slowly but surely I've kind of had to unlearn that so it just shows how strong that idea of like a utopia within Britain is and obviously for you like growing up in Scotland like you're just like bringing it back to representation I feel what I was trying to get to I probably would have taken a very long time to get there is I because of all of what you've just shared and because of the different understandings that do or don't exist to do with the lives of black people in different parts of Britain when there are shifts within you know media landscapes whether that is in the form of what's referred to as representation or or content that's created or media platforms that emerge Thinking about devolved nations, <laughs> the conversations are often very far behind where the conversations are elsewhere. So sometimes as small a change as it is, um, you know, the, the smallest indication of various shifts in certain media spaces can be helpful for, for, for some people who live there. So for example, the media landscape in Scotland, <laughs> it, it, although it is very much similar to what it was like in the 90s, I'm thankful for the work of Black creatives, activists, artists, writers who are really trying to, to challenge this notion of Scottish exceptionalism and challenge this post-racial myth. And I've been doing some ongoing work that focuses on this with a good friend, an independent researcher, writer and activist, Leila Roxanne Hill. And exactly as you've been saying, you know, these questions to do with representation, it's, I think it's too easy to dismiss conversations to do with representation by just saying representation doesn't matter. But what's more interesting to me and what I try to convey in the book is, you know, what what is the politics of representation that we're dealing with? How is that politics shaped by who is or isn't involved in media production processes? And how is that politics shaped by the specifics of Britain, Britain's relationship to, you know, say the US and global hierarchies? But right now, I really am always fascinated with bringing it back to the the devolved nations and sort of the sticky relationships between Britain's constitutive nations and what that means when we're trying to understand terms such as Black Britishness or Black Scottishness or the difference between being Black British or being a Black person in Britain. That's so interesting, Francesca. And there's so many things that are going around in my head right now. Thinking about the politics of representation and I sort of a kind of romanticised image of what it might have been like to see more versions of myself like on social media or on TV as I'm growing up. 
But actually, if we come back to, let's say, children or young people that have access to digital media, I'm going to be a slightly presentist here now. It's the 30th of March today. One of the things that I've sort of been really concerned about is looking at the news and how many black children in particular are reporting on experiencing some really awful cases of racism within sort of predominantly white places. And what that's been making me think of whilst also reading your book is that although that these images can perform a politics of representation for the individual, who isn't accessing those and what remains normative? What I mean by that is just because I'm a 12 year old girl that's now a black girl that's now accessing positive images of myself that doesn't mean that those images are being accessed by my predominantly white peers. What's happening in their lives, as in thinking about racial hierarchies and how whiteness becomes socially reproduced, is consistent. What is changing is we're becoming, I think, digital media has played a role in black people becoming or having a regenerated feelings of, I don't know, I don't know how else to put it other than kind of loving your blackness. And I didn't feel like I had access to those things when I was growing up. There's a possibility, there's more possibility to have all that now because of digital spaces. But also we're seeing possibly more fractures in how race is becoming negotiated online offline sense yeah i feel like you've just summed all of that up perfectly my understanding of what you're saying we should acknowledge that you know digital media social media and different online spaces have provided the opportunity for black people to and beyond just sort of see representations but say and you know hear from other black people learn from other black people connect with each other whether it is Black digital diasporic discussions, there have been moments where Black people can come together, be together, communicate in ways that wouldn't have perhaps been possible, say, 10, 20 years ago, and particularly across countries and across continents. But also, we're always dealing with consumer culture and, and commercial platforms, and there are these real tensions between the possibility for, say, collectiveness or community formation or transnational solidarity building when that involves making use of these platforms that are very unsafe or very precarious for Black people to navigate. And this also makes me consider, you know, to what extent is somebody having to be made visible when say, you know, looking at a piece of content or when contributing to conversations. So I think the affordances of different social media platforms shape all of this, whether that is, you know, a space such as Instagram or Twitter or Clubhouse, and whether we're dealing with audio, video, written words, and just the various forms of monitoring and surveillance and policing that are at play throughout all of what's going on. Yeah, thinking about blackness, but also thinking about this in terms of race and class, like, it's so interesting. One of the things that I think you write about so well is the relationship between consumer culture, um, race and colorism as well. I think one of the things that digital media studies and what you do in the book, I think it's a really useful way of encouraging people to think more critically Um, about how these things are reproduced within our digital media lives and like I've tried my best to write about this in my PhD with regards to like families and social relationships but actually I feel like when you have a context like media and digital media social media television 
these contexts are are kind of a real useful way of educating people about how race is reproduced yeah sorry i know it's a big one (laughs) exactly i know it's a big one but honestly i thought it was because it would be because it's really Mm -hmm. i i don't ever want to come across as being um dishonest or disingenuous when i talk about Mm -hmm. being a being a black woman and growing up in Mm -hmm. a predominantly white place because Mm -hmm. i am a black mixed race woman so it Mm -hmm. means that Mm -hmm. my experiences Mm -hmm. are different and it means that i i feel it is i have a responsibility to apply a critical dialogue and lens to my experience that is in recognition of colorist hierarchies and principles by looking at digital space and the media i think that gives us a really important important critical and actually like some of the some of the more challenging topics or what some people find more challenging to talk about can be translated in a way or understood in a way that looks at things like tv social media films youtube and yeah i just think it's sorry um, it's another kind of bigging up moment but i just think it's 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 the type of scholarship that i really aim to do because you because it's just clear concise and it really exemplifies some of how we are how consumer culture capitalism race process of racialization is socially produced thank you the relationship between race and racism and consumer culture you know racial capitalism and, and all of this is such a well such a, a hideous and and you know deeply entrenched one and to your point about making sure that when we do work like this that we not only speak about the similarities in terms of black women's experiences but the differences I completely agree that that is so so necessary especially unfortunately when dominant discourse to do with race to do with black people's experiences often involves putting forward these homogenizing ideas that deny the the nuanced differences between the lives of many different black people when when doing this work I was conscious of making it clear that although the book is about the digital lives of black women in Britain and although there are moments of connection and there are similarities between some people's experiences there are a lot of differences too and when we speak about for example online harassment and harm and when we speak about misogynoir so you know Moya Bailey it's brilliant work on this and the work of Trudy as well the intersections of sexism anti-black racism misogyny and various forms of interconnected oppression when we discuss all of this in the digital experiences of black women in Britain and elsewhere we know that the experience of uh, a light-skinned mixed-race black woman online who is very visible is going to be incredibly different to the experience of a dark-skinned black woman we know that colorism is going to impact who faces what forms of abuse and online violence. We know that issues to do with homophobia, to do with transphobia, to do with ableism are going to shape the digital experiences of various Black women. So when we do the sort of work that we do, I feel as though what we're both saying is it is always imperative that we remember that just as, as many similarities that there may be in terms of the experiences of black women in Britain, there are so many more differences too. And I feel as though this maybe relates to some of the contemporary conversations we're seeing happening to do with terms, to do with language and to do with being specific and precise. So, you know, even when we say black woman in Britain, which black woman, where in Britain, and how old are these black women? 
what sort of material conditions are these black women navigating? Do these black women identify as British? Do they identify with a different sense of national identity? Do they have no connection to a sense of national identity or any notion of nation state? So maybe a question to, to you. No, <laughs> oh I'm, my God. Your brilliant work. Do you have any No, that on... is, it's such a good, and this is what I mean, this is why this work I just feel is so, it's useful and important. And what I mean, when I say useful, I mean for those of us that are trying to do scholarship or to try and talk critically about um being black or talking about other racially minoritized groups as well like there is so many lessons to be learned in this type of scholarship that talks about the specific processes of consumer culture and how those inform how we understand ourselves um within society and I just think that it's yeah I just think it's such a useful way of doing that um I think it's important it speaks to again that point that I was making about de-homogenization de-essentialization it moves it it's about doing two things at once like in our pre-discussion we were talking about um the use of the terms like BAME BME and how they can be quite harmful um to how people both understand um, and receive themselves. And I think one of the things that I one of the things that I'm talking about when I say harmful is people, unfortunately, for some on the left who want to keep these terms, you have to recognize that people don't like them. We don't want to obliterate difference through sameness. We don't want to do that. But what we can do is talk about commonalities, shared experiences of the state, of the state violence, of state violences, of racial capitalism. We can do all that stuff, but we can also talk about the very specific experience of women that we're talking about, black women in Britain. We can do that. Both of those things can exist at the same time. And yeah, I just think you make some really important points throughout the book about that fact. And I think that the the notion or the idea and the process of looking at digital space makes that a lot more I think it it creates a lot more um space for people to have an understanding of the importance of of focus of having some focus on specificities when we're talking about certain lives thank you yeah I, I completely agree with what you're saying about you know we can strive towards forms of liberation and, and we can you know, work across difference. We we can recognise commonalities in terms of whether it's an anti-capitalist or an anti-imperialist or anti-racist struggle, whilst also being specific when it comes to acknowledging differences. So choosing to be clear with the use of terms or language when it comes to describing someone's experience or something that's going on, I don't see why that should be understood as presenting a threat to forms of solidarity across difference. If anything, I think a lot of liberationist goals require both, you know, an international um, focus or, or, you know, a, a focus that is not restricted by notions of nation state, but also a sense of specificity, which means that we're not continuing to essentialize people and their experiences. We're not continuing to speak about race or and racism and material conditions as though they exist in the exact same way for everyone in different parts of the, the world 
such a powerful point and it kind of reads for, I would say it just reads through the whole way through um the thesis and the book like it's absolutely it's such a clear point for me um and such a it's the point of interdisciplinary scholarship that runs throughout I know I keep saying that but I just think it's really important I just want to repeat it because I think that this text is something that should be on like so many different discipline reading lists like it's just so good I'm also aware of the fact that some of these potential changes around what terms institutions use whether that is you know racialized people people of color black asian and minority ethnic people whatever term is being used and um, i'm also very aware that any changes that occur are sometimes represented as though they are signaling some sort of structural shift that hasn't actually taken place so i think to bring it back to representation i'm mindful of how you know, the decision of a, of a, a media organisation to capitalise black or to stop using one term and to use another is sometimes represented as though it's a revolutionary act when often the bar is on the floor and then that is the, the, the tiniest gesture they're making um, when actually there is much more substantial structural work to be done that they managed to deflect from by focusing on language and words such a good point Francesca like absolutely fundamental point there and again another thing that I have to just I have to keep reminding myself of with yeah with regards to the politics of representation like these things are in in many ways and talking structurally can be minor really really important point where do you see our digital consumption going particularly for black women in Britain and I say that as someone like we spoke a little bit about racial capitalism and I guess for me like I aim to be a content creator in a way like that is something that I am passionate about doing and being my content being podcasts I've been really concerned about these things um, I'm about to outline um, with obviously Tiso um, and George um, who I produce and host this podcast with how do we balance um our digital outputs and content creation something that is overwhelmingly positive but that doesn't endorse kind of notions of like hustling till till you drop like working like seven days a week like I think that we definitely have a good balance um with our output but I recognize that certain things that we do can sometimes present this kind of neoliberal sort of flirtation with content creation that doesn't create liberation in fact like there's some that would possibly say that we are um endorsing and advertising work what's the future going to look like because I feel like we're going to get more and more um black content creators and I absolutely love that I'm here for it every day but how do we create this content and think about this content in a way that's recognizing racial capitalism that's recognizing how hustle culture become fetishized what it means to kind of reproduce neoliberal logics about both consumption and creation what a brilliant question i so what would the future look like and how do we deal with all this so I'm, I'm aware that, you know, scholars such as Tressie McMillan-Cotton are, are doing brilliant work in this area. So questions to do with hustle culture, to do with race, to do with gender. And I think the point you made about, you know, these sort of blurred boundaries sometimes between work 
maybe you know play creativity neoliberalism it's tricky because you know we we don't exist outside of capitalism right now different people have different opinions on this topic but it comes back to what we keep talking about in regards to recognizing a lot of things all at once rather than claiming it's just one or the other so i feel as though we can say we're dealing with capitalism a lot of what goes on exists within it but that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities to struggle against it and to try and do things differently. And because of consumer culture, because of the commercial nature of a lot of platforms that people host content on, inevitably there's going to be some connection back to, you know, capitalist structures to do with money-making organisations. But I also feel as though that doesn't mean there's no sense of agency at play. That doesn't mean as though that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities to deal with the situation and make use of technology and tools in critical and reflexive ways but also try to create something that doesn't reinforce those logics or try to create something that certainly isn't about pursuing profit in the oppressive ways that many organizations have done for a long time so I feel as though the work that you do really exemplifies that I I recognize that you're you're conscious of some of these tensions but you wouldn't be able to share the these recordings you wouldn't be able to share these these brilliant conversations with so many different people were it not for engaging with digital technology were it not for making use of different digital spaces and you're doing it in a way which involves really really truthfully reckoning with those challenges and confronting them as opposed to pretending that they don't exist. So in the future, I feel as though there might be moments when people actively disengage from a platform that they once made use of a lot. There may be a lot more, I don't know if I want to say private because how private is anything when it's online, mm-hmm. but you know, smaller, so to speak, digital spaces, you know, more closed, for lack of a better word, digital spaces where people are having conversations on a smaller scale they may be less interested in recording or or archiving in the way that we often imagine archiving to take place so maybe more more moments of connection that are about trying to well I say more but a lot of this is happening right now <laughs> and and also maybe what's difficult to imagine is when I think about the future of digital culture, I go between thinking there's going to be so much more of what we see right now and thinking there's going to be just mass disengagement in, in ways that we can't anticipate. And either new new digital spaces or new di- forms of digital technology or a lot of people really turning away from digital. Um, but will that involve forms of disruption that really change you know the ability of those platforms that thrive right now to exist I'm not sure to maybe bring it back to hustle culture what is also tricky is I feel as it's very easy for institutions or for individuals in very secure situations to be dismissive of, of times when people are using digital technology to pursue paid work but unfortunately because of racial capitalism because of oppressive structures because of the precarious living situations that many people are dealing with that is part of how they are trying to get by on a day-by-day basis so I think we can be critical of these systems without judging individuals for 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 trying to do work within the confines of capitalism and especially when they're trying to do work that pushes against the 
the market logics that oppress people. So many different and important points you just made there, Francesca. And I just want to say this because I just brought up the podcast, this podcast that we're talking about now and its relationship to the um, hustle culture, neoliberalism, racial capitalism. I just want to make a point of saying that I, I try to say this as much as possible on the show. But one of the things that I think that we have to be honest about as content creators is the classed issues um, with regards to this. Now, what I mean by that is there is fundamentally no way that surviving society would be as successful as it is without me becoming middle class. Having the space and time and access to just ca- access to cash, as in just having a secure economic position, socially, emotionally, economically, that is a fundamental feature of why we have been able to continue doing Survive in Society. That doesn't negate from the fact that Tiso and I and George are all creatives. We are in our own way. But to be creative and to have the space to produce digitally, I think it's just so important. And I know you do talk about this, to think about class and how class creates these mobilizations of quote-unquote digital advancement yeah I I just completely agree and 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 also I think class feeds into who is referred to as even a content creator or creative as opposed to someone who's just dismissed as being online or posting online or or you know you know sharing content online I think like you said there are you know, people's material conditions really impact what they're able to access, how much time they're able to spend on creating content, who engages with it. But then also people's perceptions of individuals are very much, you know, impacted by anti-blackness, by sexism, by classism, which means that oftentimes I think conversations to do with black content creation it's really focusing predominantly on the experiences of black middle class people. And I think also with all of what we're, we're discussing today, I feel as though, you know, we're, we're speaking from probably quite a similar political position. I don't want to assume, but I think sometimes um, other times I see people speak about black content creators as though all of what they do is activist in nature or all of what they do is anti-capitalist in nature when, you know, black content creation isn't, inherently radical or resistant and certainly isn't necessarily for black people in the sense of you know moving towards liberationist goals and yeah I think that's that's something that it's always great to hear other people's thoughts on that and I appreciate all of what you've spoken about right now in terms of pushing pushing against these reductive ideas of black content creation simply equating Mm. to black liberationist work Mm, definitely Francesca that was such a brilliant conversation I feel so lucky that we're kind of renaissance to academics research writing space and that you're producing within it because I think you are absolutely brilliant and I'm very 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 grateful that you've come on the show so thank you so much thank you so much for for inviting me to be in the show and thank you for all of what you shared today too thanks so much listeners hope you've enjoyed the show um we will be back next week of course thank you very much bye thank you for listening to surviving society with Chantal and tiso you can now continue the conversation with us on twitter and instagram If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. 